You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. All right, guys, welcome to Pulse to the Wall. Uh, tonight, we are joined by Larry Sharp, who I've been looking forward to talking to for a while. Um, he recently agreed to come on. So, Larry, it's great to have you. I've made an error clearly, but what are you going to do now? I'm stuck. <laughs> we always say our live stream thing is I tell you, you know, obviously for Larry, it's a huge honor to be on here. So I get that out of the way for you in case you forget to tell people. But um, so starting out the stream tonight, it's just me so far. Tyler's off tonight and Mike is going to be about 10, 15 minutes late, possibly. So, Larry, the topic that I wanted you to have on the podcast to talk about is recently I've noticed that if you tune into any libertarian podcast, you go to any libertarians Twitter. The only conversation they seem to be having is the sort of inside baseball debates or discussions with other libertarians. And I think what we the end game of what we want to do is we want to get out to regular everyday people that aren't ideologically committed, right? We're not trying to like convert progressives or, you know, hardcore conservatives. You can ally with them on certain issues, but really the, the goal, especially if you, the, uh, the Mises caucus, if you look at like their mission, we want to reach the politically apathetic and we want to get the message to people and cure them of their apathy. And right now it seems like that, that task is being neglected. Is that basically what you're seeing? Um, neglected is probably too strong of a word, but I see where you're going with it, right? Um, it's to be forward, it's just a whole lot easier, right? It's a whole lot easier to just talk to people who kind of already agree with us, right? It just is. And I don't mean to be a nudge about it. I'm just being honest. It's a lot easier to just go, oh, you, you kind of get it. Awesome. Um, so we tend to do that. Um, but I do think that someone's got to be able to close the gap and try to get everyone aboard. Even, you know, you said we don't want to, you know, bring the progressives and the liberals aboard. I think we should talk to them, too. Um, there are many. You will rarely ever hear me get upset about somebody's messaging. And you might say, why? Why in the world wouldn't you be upset about somebody's messaging? Because I think we need messaging that touches everybody. Right. So there's some hardcore messaging that someone's going to go, oh, my God, that lands with me. Yeah, it does. And then the, the one of the ones that I personally don't like, but the old, we're physically conservative and socially liberal. I don't like that one. And I almost never say it. But to be forward for some people, that's what draws them to us. And if you're the kind of person who wants to say that, I'm okay with that. So I'm not against at all trying to grab the person who's kind of already there but doesn't know it. I think that's critically important. And I know that's one of the Mises Cox's big deals. Yes, please do that. And, and I'm going to spend time talking to communists and socialists, trying to get them to, to see that we're not monsters so that when they're 
so that when their ideas fail, because they always fail, that instead of them saying, let's try communism one more time, they instead, they instead say, that Larry Sharp guy, he wasn't so bad. Maybe he's got some ideas. <laughs> so I do think we want to do all of those things. And I'm greedy. I, I say up front, I'm greedy. I want 7 billion libertarians. I'm greedy. I want 7 billion. The other 1 billion cannot be libertarian. That's okay. But I want 7 billion of them. So this is this is an area where I would say my opinion or kind of my worldview has shifted uh, really since the beginning of COVID. There's kind of this common trope among uh, libertarian influential figures that a lot of people or you could say most people are libertarians. They just don't know it yet. Right. Like they haven't been exposed to Austrian economics or the the argument against the war on drugs or all these things where we know that we're good on these issues. But the message just isn't out there. But I guess what's what's shifted for me over the last year, and before I say this, I'll say what I appreciate about your messaging specifically is you find a way to speak to the lowest common denominator of values and interests while not watering down the message. So that's that's what I like yes. about your approach Thank in you. general. You seem to always hit that. Um, now, the reason I'm skeptical since the beginning of COVID is that we saw half the population cheer on being locked inside their homes and forced to 100%. wear a mask. So it, it really got me questioning the idea that most people are libertarians. They just don't know it yet. So to I, don't, you, I don't believe that. No, I don't. No, I don't say that. You don't, you how don't would, hear me say that. Yeah, no, say not, that. not that you, not that you said it specifically, yeah. but this idea among libertarians that a lot of people. No, no, I'm the opposite, which is why people get mad at me. I actually said the opposite. The average American would be, it doesn't care about freedom at all. The average American only cares about having a better life. That's it. And if that means a benevolent dictator, they'd be fine with that. The average American doesn't care about freedom at all. Absolutely. So I, I don't think that's true. I think we saw that with COVID. You're right. That was a slap in the face. If you didn't get it before, I hope it showed you that now. I've been saying that forever. If you ever notice, it's one of the reasons why you rarely hear me talk about libertarian rhetoric. I always try to find the words that will work with the person that's in front of me, and I create policies. I'm all about policy, right? I'm all about it. That's where I'm able to shine when people say, well, what about this? And I actually have an answer. One of the reasons why I did so well uh, relatively, I mean, I didn't do well, but relatively in my campaign was because when people came to my events, they always said the same thing. Larry, I asked you a question. You actually answered it. Yeah, because I realized that the average person doesn't care about liberty or freedom. They care that somebody has an answer for their problem. And so what I do is I create libertarian solutions for their problems. And they go, ooh, I like that. I actually don't mind if people aren't libertarian. I actually don't. I want them to vote libertarian when the time comes. Because some people don't want to be free. I'm okay with that. Just don't force me to be in your box. That's it. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this on that topic. Like Hold on. Wanting... Cause I'll let you not be free. Like I will let you not be free. I'm not going to be <laughs> mad at you. If, if you want to join a commune, I'm not going to be mad at you. If you think the right answer is, you know, um, you know, listening to whatever the authorities tell you every five minutes, good on you. If that makes you happy, man, I'm, I'm okay with that. Just yeah. don't force me. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people are into bondage and a lot of uh, kinky, weird fetishes. Just don't force them on me. I'm with you on that. Correct. <laughs> so, Absolutely. So um, 
I guess, okay, so you mentioned something there that you want people to vote libertarian. And I think ideally, like, of course, we should have more parties because people are kind of like brainwashed into this false dichotomy, you know, Republican and Democrat, and they have been for for decades, centuries. So yep. I, I guess the reason I would question that now, let's, let's imagine a hypothetical in 2024. Sure. We have a three-way presidential race going on between Kamala Harris, because I highly doubt Biden will be, you oh, know, up please. to the task. <laughs> Kamala, no, Jesus, yeah, I know. she's the worst. So, so let's say ah, we she's have the worst. Oh, okay. it's, it's yeah, we can, we can. Well, now you just put later. me in a bad mood, but fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, she's, fine. It's, it's maniacal, but uh, so, That's okay, let's say worst. we have, <laughs> we have Kamala Harris, we have Ron DeSantis running as a Republican. And then let's say mm-hmm. Dave Smith is the nominee. What I've okay. said on the podcast before is that I'd tell people to listen to Dave Smith, but then vote for Ron DeSantis, especially because we saw what the Democrats are willing to do when they hold power. They will happily go along with the COVID lockdowns and all of the bailouts and economic stimulus that goes along with them, where you see somebody like Ron DeSantis, and he is by no means a perfect libertarian. I mean, he's bad on foreign policy. He's probably bad on drugs. He's bad on a lot of things. But He's actually proven that he's willing to fight back against the left and impose policies to counter their agenda. So do you want somebody like a Dave Smith actually splitting the vote and handing the win to Kamala? And and in the past, I've told people like that's silly. No, no, I I get you completely. I I get where you're going. And let me give you what I think is a very, uh, very straight up important answer and why. So you're clear on this. I think you are incorrect. And I think that would be a bad idea. I would eagerly vote for Dave Smith if he was our nominee. I would encourage others to vote for Dave Smith if he was our nominee, even if I thought that Dave Smith could not win, right? I would hope he could win, but I'm being forward. We usually lose. So even if he couldn't win, I would still say so. Even if, and I'm going to be, I'm going to go down that road. You want me to go down that road? I'm going to go down that road. Even if I believed in my heart that he would split the vote and give us the absolutely horrible Harris as president. Even if that was the result, and I think Harris would be terrible as our president, and even if I believe that, I would still say that. Why? Because DeSantis is just a Band-Aid. He's a short-term Band-Aid, and I don't want a short-term Band-Aid. Like Trump. We need actual change. Actual change. And if, and again, I'm, we're assuming for the moment that David cannot win, that he can't win. Okay, I got you. He doesn't win. He splits the vote and, and that's it. But great. Now you know who everyone's talking about? Dave Smith. The world's talking about Dave Smith now. And they have to pay attention to us. And maybe he doesn't win. But who knows? Maybe the guy or gal who's running in some local election in 2026 now wins because of that. Now we make some real change. We The only way we fix this nation is if we are able to heal this nation. And if you're watching now, just like I'm watching, this nation is not being healed at all. This nation is getting further and further apart. And the only way we heal this nation is by being a party or a movement or a unit that says, you don't have to convert to be one of us. You can just be you. Just be you and we won't fight you. You can be as liberal, as conservative as you want to be. Just don't force your views on others and we're good. No one else says that but us. We're the only healers. So no, vote Dave Smith if he's our nominee (laughs) or anyone else. You pick Dave's and they're fine with that. Whoever our nominee is, vote for our nominee, even if they can't win, 
because it's for the future. And I, and the example I'll give you, so you say I'm not just talking trash. When I ran in 2018, obviously when I first started running, I thought I could win. Of course I did. Reality set in at one point, and I realized, okay, I can't win. I thought maybe I'd come in second. Reality set in, and I realized I couldn't even do that. I was hoping for third place. That's all I really wanted to do. Why? Because then more people will be talking to me. More people will be hearing about what I think. But more importantly than that, in 2019, again, I lost in 2018, I crossed New York State again. And we had 103 victories, libertarian victories in New York State. They were so scared of that, they literally changed the rules on ballot access and took my ballot access away. So that we couldn't get back on the ballot again. Because they saw a movement. That actually happened. We don't have ballot access anymore because of that. And they did it in midstream and reneged on what they said. And no one stopped them, even though we sued. It didn't matter. So, yeah, that's how we make impact. It's long term. And in the short term, we pay. But anything else is a Band-Aid and everything gets worse. Yeah, I think you make an interesting argument there, and one that I haven't really thought through uh, very thoroughly, and that is sort of like the butterfly effect. Like, so Dave splits the vote, something bad happens, we get an actual witch as president, like in this hypothetical. Um, but maybe this causes a lot of libertarians to win local elections, and that's how you can yep. actually change policy. You don't try to change the behemoth that is the United States federal government. You can just insulate yourself from it locally. And I think that most libertarians, even when we're infighting, we can all agree on that sort of system. And you know, I, I think that that is a fair argument. I think that if we are able to sort of localize, that may be worth it. Now, I'm not sure what the long-term uh, consequences are going to be if we're if we're, if we, let's say, and again, we don't have a time machine. We can't see what America looks sure. like in 2030 if we elect two more Democrats between now and then. Um, I, I guess just my, my knee jerk reaction, it's like, okay, if it really came down to it and we had a Republican who was anti COVID lockdowns because, or whatever the next excuse is going to be, we know now that they have this tool and they know they can use it, that we will see it again in the not too distant future. At least that's, that's my suspicion. So it's like now that they have this tool, um, do we want to elect people who are happy to use it and wield that power or people who want to you know, put the lid on it? And I guess my instinct is to just say, take the person who can actually win, who can actually stop this. Yeah, great. So now I get to stand for four years and then I get worse than Kamala four years later. Boy, what a win. Don't forget, Bush gave us Obama. Obama gave us Trump. Trump gave us Biden. This isn't, we're not winning. That's not a win. Yeah. What they do you, rotate. what do you make of it? What do you make of this pendulum kind of swinging and getting more extreme every election cycle? What do you think causes that? And what do you think stops it? Because it, it's easy. It makes sense. The system is set for this to work and it does. None of them, none of them have to solve anything, right? It's way easy for them. Think about it. If I would have run Republican or Democrat, that's all I have to do. All I have to say is I'm not the other guy. I don't have to have any policies, right? There's no need for policies. <laughs> Who needs that? I just yell, I'm not the other guy. That's all, right? I just literally say that, oh, um, if, I run, if I run Democrat, I go, um, see, I'm not like the racist Republicans who are going to kill everything that you love. And if I run Republican, I go, see, I'm not a socialist who cares only about trans rights and nobody else and blah, 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 make you turn your kids gay or whatever they think they say. I can just say that stuff, have no policies, and I win. What a great deal. 
right? And something you may not know, I've met a lot of politicians as I cross this state, lots of them. You'd be shocked how many politicians, elected officials, hate their constituents. And when I say hate, I mean hate them. Like, hate them. They don't care about them. That, that would be bad. I knew they didn't care. That didn't shock me. But the, the, like, the hating of them is shocking how many literally just hate them. They see them as a nuisance. They get in the way. They're annoying. They hate, they hate them. And they always get mad at them. Why? Because they don't solve anything. Right? This is, the, this is the, the piece that I bring up. Right? If there's an actual libertarian running, then they have to have policy. Not just that negative ads don't work. So the three of us are running for something, right? Nick, you're the Republican. Mike, you're the Democrat. I'm the Libertarian. Sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to insult you. Anyway, so, <laughs> so oh, that's who it is right now, right? So Nick decides he's going to run on the Socialism is Evil campaign. That's his whole thing. He's going to run on that. So he starts saying, Mike's a dirty socialist, and he's going to turn everybody into a socialist. That's the whole thing, right? The 1%. Well, yep. Exactly, yes. He's going to yell about <laughs> yeah. But guess what? If you hate socialism, I'm not a socialist either. The vote doesn't automatically go to you, Nick. You've made Mike look bad, but I might get that vote. That's no longer good enough. You now have to say, Mike's a dirty socialist, and I have a policy. You can't just go, I'll protect you from the evil socialist. And Mike now says, well, Nick's a horrible homophobe, and he's going he's gonna to make gay people go into camps and execute them. And the, the Democrats will believe that. And, well, great, guess what? I don't want to do that either. So even if someone doesn't want to put gay people in camps, well, I don't either. The vote doesn't necessarily go to you. You now have to have an actual answer. So once you have three people in a race, the left-right dichotomy doesn't work anymore. The he's evil, she's evil doesn't work anymore. I want actual change to our, you know, that's why I keep saying, yes, vote libertarian, even if they're going to lose. It is, it is making the long term better. But there's one more thing you're seeing. People are checking out. They're checking out. They're checking out, even though we had a lot of people voting last time, most of those people had no idea what the policies were. They were voting against somebody. They either hated Trump or hated socialism. That was it. That's why most people voted last time. They weren't thinking about policies. Why? Nobody had any. Nobody had any policies. Trump was America first. Biden was I'm not Trump. Done. Right? Done. Initially, what and it swapped, by the way, it was at that point, the Democrats were the party of no ideas and Republicans were the party of bad ideas. Now it's rotated. Now, Democrats are the party of bad ideas. Republicans are the party of no ideas. And that's because whoever's out of power has no ideas. Their only ideas are that guy's ideas are bad. That's it. So when Trump was in charge, Democrats are yelling, Trump's evil. You got to get rid of him. What's your policies? Shut up. Trump's evil. Get rid of him. And now what Republicans saying, Biden's evil, get rid of him. Well, he's next to say Biden's senile. They don't say evil. Most people don't believe Biden's evil. They think he's senile or he's a socialist, right? Biden's socialist or, or, or senile, get rid of him. What's your policies? Uh, shut up. Biden's senile. And he, that's what's happening now. Sure, that's sure. why we have to break this, this two-party system. Now, what do you think of, like, you just laid out that, you know, Republicans are running on not being Democrats. Democrats run on not being Republicans. Yep. Now, how how do you tackle the problem that that seems to win? And while you you said what I believe as well that we actually have the policies, like I remember, you know, you've talked about like privatizing bridges and how that would work, and it's nope, like this not sounds- privatizing bridges. Nope, or leasing, sponsoring right, leasing naming rights. 
Sure, sure. That's a sloppy word to use, I guess, privatize. But yeah, you're talking about like a corporation, like the they get to name you the say bridge. privatize, the left shuts off. Yes. <laughs> they will not hear anything else after that word. They will hear yeah. nothing after that word. Right. Branding is everything or terminology. And, and, you know, the left is very good at changing terminology. So we have to kind of use their tactics against them. So I, I, or assigning words to you. Yes. And the second they assign the word in mid sentence, you must stop them. I spent a lot of time talking to the left. That's been my jam for like this last year or two. I've been trying to talk to the left a lot more because we're not that good at it. They will immediately go, you want to privatize? I never said that. Well, yeah, I never said that. When did I say that? Uh, uh, uh. You got to stop them right away. Right away. Right. Right. So, so I, I get what you're saying there. You know, we're kind of rebranding our ideas that, I mean, if, if we're talking amongst ourselves, we might use the word privatize and not think twice about it. But so, so how do you go about tackling that problem that we actually have the policies where we like to have these long form discussions about how things would work in this philosophical way and then how it would translate to reality where rubber meets road? where I think that just the majority of the voting population, they don't have that kind of conversation in them. They just want, no, no, just tell me who to vote for because this guy's bad. And I, I have, I've always voted this way. So just reaffirm my position that I'm doing the right thing by not voting for that guy and voting for you. And that makes up the majority of voters. How do you go about tackling that problem? There are two. And Mike, if I could please tell you, please stop talking so much. Okay. Um, so there are, there are three pieces and the last one's the most important because that's how you get the first two. The first one is ballot access. You've got to make ballot access a whole lot easier. And how do you do that? Well, that's three, but conceptually it's getting judges and executive has to say this to literally say, what's the harm. And I, I often, I will use this example as a crazy example. Let's say, for example, the good people of Tulsa, Oklahoma, decide that Larry Sharp should be on their ballot for mayor, right? They decide that. And their board of elections is so incompetent, I don't know if they are, for the sake of this argument they are, that they let me on. Now, clearly, I can't be the mayor. There's, there's residential restrictions I don't pass. I don't live there. I'm not, a, I, I can't be that. I cannot be the mayor. But they let me on by mistake. What's the harm? Even in that crazy example, what's the harm? There's probably about 10 libertarians in Tulsa who love me. So I get 10 votes. Done, right? I'm not going to win. But let's walk down the crazy road. I win. Let's say that I actually, uh, I don't campaign. I'm, I don't even remember I'm on the ballot. But I somehow win mayor of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, clearly I can't be the, the mayor, right? Because I don't have residency, right? So I can't, I can't win the election, right? I didn't even try. So obviously it's a bogus election. But what does that mean? That means the people of Tulsa hated their people who are on the ballot so much they voted for some New York City dude they never heard of before. Which means you get another election, which is a good thing because they didn't want the people who won the ballot. So even at the most absurd example, it still works out good, which means why are we being so nitpicky about being on the ballot? There is no harm to it. I get it's the law, but we have to get judges to understand you the laws by default you are a judge. You're supposed to judge what's the harm and what's good. You know for sure if you take someone off the ballot, you are by default taking away someone's right to vote for who they want to vote. At least that person for sure, but probably thousands. That you, So you know there's harm on that. What if you let them on? What's the harm? Probably none. So why aren't you letting people on the ballot? Number two, ranked choice voting. 
ranked choice voting or approval voting. I don't care which one. I think ranked choice tends to be better, but I would take approval, whatever. Some form of voting that that the wasted vote goes away. There is those things as a wasted vote. Those two things, which we already have in, I think, Nebraska and Maine and in New York City primaries, we do ranked choice voting. So that's also happening. So those two things will change everything. How do we get that? The hardest one, be more popular. That's the answer. Be more popular. Popular people get stuff done. People care more about your popularity than how smart you are or how good you are or how good. I mean, I am a really handsome guy, right? And modest <laughs> too, which is the best part of me. Of all my great parts, my modesty is my, my best. But I am a handsome man. And it doesn't matter. I'm not popular enough. Being popular matters. Kim Kardashian, because she's popular, has done more for criminal justice reform than Trump or Obama, right? Because she's yeah. popular. So she says, can I go to the White House? And they go, yeah. If I say, can I go to the White House? They go, who are you? <laughs> so being popular matters. And this is one of the reasons why I do so much of what I do. I'm trying to be more popular. If you're popular, you have more gravitas by default and you can make those changes. So those are the three answers. I hope I answered your question. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, Larry, I want to apologize because I, you know, I just got done wrestling a bunch of kids to bed. Then I come down here and you call me a Democrat before I even introduce <laughs> myself. So... <laughs> <laughs> Got off on the wrong foot there. Um, but anyhow, um, after your run for governor, I mean, how is how have you been kind of like the what's the public reaction been towards you? Or a lot of people, I'm sure, are wishing you were governor during the whole covid agenda. Um, be a completely alternate universe in New York. Um, yes. But what's what's the kind of grassroots feeling over there? Are there people kind of shifting away from the traditional really blue uh, politics in New York? They're, they're actually packing up and leaving. Yeah. I mean, we've lost about a million and a half people in about the last 10 years. We lost wow. a congressperson this time. Um, we're going to keep losing more. People keep, just keep leaving. Um, the COVID lockdowns in New York City, we lost over a million workers out of New York City. About wow. half a million might come back, but a half million are never coming back. Um, and as those people don't come back, all the people who service them won't come back. So the odds are New York City will, will fall to about 7 million people, give or take, which for New York is low, right? New York yeah. City is the largest city in the nation. We were at about 8.5 million at our height. We're going to fall to about 7 million, give or take, the next year or two. And that will be tough for us because we are accustomed to having large, bustling city. The city can take 9 million, 9.5 million people. We can, we can handle it here, right? It's what we can do. We live on top of each other. I mean, the, every square mile of... Uh, Parts of New York City, up to 60,000 people per square mile. So we live on top of each other. There's, there's parts in, in, in New York City where the UPS truck driver, his entire route is one building. So wow, oh, that, that's, that's new, to, get, to put it in perspective. So, that, so they're walking away is one answer. But the second answer is you're finding people check out, right? It's like I just vote the R or the D because that's who I am. And I'm just waiting till I retire so I can leave this state. There, there's an exodus out of New York State. And people talk about it all the time. It's, it's really bad. So as a general rule, people are unhappy. The, it's a one-party state. We are a Democrat state deep. The, it's about two and a half to three to one registered Democrats, Republican across the state. In New York City, it's six to one Democrats, Republican. So that's how deep blue the state is. And the city is even deeper. So with that in mind... People just go, well, whoever Democrat is, is the one that we get, right? 
to the point where our governor literally said about months ago, he said, we're going to pick our new mayor of New York City in June. Our election's in November, but June is our primary. So he just assumed that whoever wins the Democratic primary is our mayor. And, but there is an election officially in November. But to right. be forward, Mike, why would you show up to it? Yeah. No, I mean, we're, we're in Illinois, so we're, you know, very oh, deep you blue know. as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know. it's very pointless for us to vote on anything other than local elections. Um, but yeah, Chicago runs everything. I mean, it's yep. it's really just, it's really defeating. And we're kind of just stuck here with family reasons and all kinds of, uh, it'd be very That's hard for me I to up and move. After you retire. That's why yep. I was saying that. In New, New York, similar to Illinois in that regard, right? In New York, in New York State, generally speaking, people stay until one of three things happens. One, an elderly parent passes away, right? Because they was there, they're there for an elderly parent. Once that parent passes, they pack up and leave. Or their kids got out of school. Or they retire and get their pension. Those three things happen out of New York. My mother moved to South Carolina when she, when she retired. Yeah. yeah. That's how it works. Yeah, that's uh... – it is kind of disappointing when you look at states like ours, New York and Illinois, and how they're so heavily dominated by such a small geographic area that's sort of just a cancer on the rest of the state. So the other topic, um, we sort of dabbled in it to start out here, but when it comes to reaching these, the we'll call them like the uh, the silent majority, the apathetic majority that just doesn't vote. They don't get engaged in politics. They don't care about what's going on in the news. They just take their kids at soccer practice and they make dinner and they, they don't pay attention. They're not in this world at all, which I actually, I really like those people, you know, people who aren't ideologically possessed, even, even if they agree with me, I enjoy talking to those people. They're yes. the most chill to be around and they're, they're usually very good hearted. And I wish we had more people like that. Now, unfortunately 100%. it's the people who are very animus and, and in this world that actually end up dictating policy, they vote, they, they put pressure on their elected officials to change policy. Um, I think nothing demonstrated that better than COVID we got to see how that works like very up close and personal. So yeah. when it comes to reaching these people who are apathetic, I think what libertarians can look at as the blueprint is the Ron Paul campaign and how Ron Paul took all these people who were, they, he converted a lot of people on the left and a lot of people who were traditional Republican conservatives, but he also woke up a lot of people, especially young people that weren't ideologically committed. So when it comes to messaging to that demographic of people, what is the approach? How do you look at that? And how do you go about selling liberty? You mean to young people or to, to just the, the silent kind of apathetic majority of people in general, all the, the non-voters of this country? Yes. Um, if you're, I had to do this, I have to divvy this up by either, am I talking about the movement as a whole or am I talking about the party, right? The liberty movement is different from the party. It's separate. The party can't survive without the movement, but the movement can survive without the party. The problem is the movement is stronger with the party. So they should work together. Why do I say this? Because if I'm with the movement, my goal is to get people to care about issues. That's my goal. And that might mean, you know, doing a stunt. That might mean doing some marketing. That might mean either some very soft milk toast messaging Awesome, hardcore, you know, legalized recreational cocaine messaging, right? It doesn't matter. It could be any of those things. But that's what the movement does to get someone to care or to recognize, go, wait a minute, what's this about? But now when you go to the candidate, 
the candidate has to have an answer for the issues the person cares about that hopefully that the activist done a good enough job and letting them know they should care about it, right? Because some people don't care about anything. They don't get just the powers that be, whatever, and they go about their life. But then someone says, do you understand how the police state's affecting you? And then they go, oh my God, thank you, Miss Activist, for letting me know. Thank you, Mr. Activist, for letting me know. that. That's I ne- Yeah. And now here comes candidate Larry Sharp. Now they go, well, Larry Sharp, what's your answer for, the, for, the, for that? I don't have to have an answer. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if I'm with the movement, things like catchy phrases and stunts and things like that will move the needle forward. They will. They'll get, they'll get people to think. When it comes to a candidate, I've got to have interesting solutions, hopefully ones that will land. I tried my best, right? And in, in, in a perfect world, you want to have a policy and a slogan that is radical enough that someone can get it. I'm sorry, that someone can, can, can be moved by it, but familiar enough so they can kind of accept it. Now, what I tried to do was I used my, my idea of, of um, my can- for cannabis. I said, regulate cannabis like onions. <laughs> now, the goal of that was regulate. Oh, Democrats like regulation. Okay, I li- I'm listening. And then I said, like vegetables. Right. And they're like, huh? <laughs> Wait, it grows out of the ground. Just like a, yeah, it's a plant. Hmm. Yeah. So why can't small farmers have a cash crop? Why can't someone who's poor grow their medicine in their backyard? Why can't we do that? Why I can't sell it at a farmer's market on Saturday morning in your small town. Bingo. And then I said, we do that. And then I'm the next one. I tried to play on the Obama, which was, if you like your dealer, you can keep your dealer. so that's what i was trying to achieve now it didn't work as well as i wanted it to but the concept's a good concept right and i still to this day well that's not true because now with covid prior to the covid lockdowns before my 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 lord and master my king uh king cuomo the second oh hey the king um before he deemed me non-essential last year and i could actually go out and stuff right and work before that happened I would go outside and there'd be some guy driving down the road and yell up right outside the window, Larry Sharp, ring it like onions, right? That would, <laughs> that would happen. So we need a lot of those types of things. I tried many of them. Most didn't land the way I wanted them to land, right? But I tried. The one I think that landed the best probably was that one. The other one was um, the Pepsi Bridge because I wanted to lease the naming rights, right? So that people still tease me to this day, particularly the left. They hate that idea. Oh, my God. They hate that idea so much. That's what I love so, about it. Yep. Oh, my God. They hate it. So I, I, I did a uh, discussion with the, the left YouTuber, Vosh, and Pepsi Bridge. Then I did one with the YouTuber, Destiny. This debate brought to you by Pepsi Bridge. They kept saying it, and they were acting like they were insulting me, right? Like, well, see, stupid Pepsi. And I'm like, thank you. Please do that again. That's amazing. Yeah. And it lasts so much that when I did, I did another one with uh, Dylan Burns, which is on farm policy. But and these guys are all lefties. Open socials, open lefties. And so their their audience doesn't like me at all, clearly, obviously, right? They don't like me. But it's fine. I don't mind. I don't mind going in lines then. But people who remembered me from the other debates as a way of attacking me would put this discussion brought to you by pepsi bridge and i was like it's working (laughs) it's working like 
they're getting it. So um, if you want to, if you want to market to people like that, you've got to one have cool things like that. Whatever your policies are, have them like that, right? Yeah. So that and better than me, right? But but try, and you'll find one that'll hit. <laughs> but the second thing is, no matter what they say, don't get angry because they want you to be angry. They want you to be a jerk and a bad person. They want to paint you as an evil, selfish, mean person. So no matter what, don't get angry. No matter what, you should look at you should look at people you're talking to who don't get it exactly like that. They just don't get it. They don't get it. Okay, you don't get it. I got you. You don't get it. No worries. You don't get it. Versus you're an evil person, you're a jerk, whatever. Then they whenever you get angry at them, it validates their bad behavior against you. And I have gotten angry before. And every time I have, I regretted it. Every time I got angry, I regretted it. And I wish I hadn't. But I have. I'm still human, right? And I, when I get insulted by 45 people in a row, I get angry. I'm still human. But I, even when that happens, I regret it. I wish. I'm like, damn it. I shouldn't have got angry. I should have still been nice and polite and the whole way through. Because when someone's trying to get you, you're not arguing for that person. You're arguing for the audience, right? I'm not going to get the person in front of me who thinks Marx is the greatest guy on the planet and can quote him far better than I could ever and would ever want to be able to quote him. I'm not going to get that person all of a sudden go, you know what, Larry? You're right. I'm a libertarian. Ron Paul. Uh, that's not going to happen. But can I get his audience to go, huh? Huh? Maybe. And that's what I want because their policies are going to fail them. We know this. And when the policies fail them, I, I don't want them to check out or just swap sides, which is what happens all the time. I want them to come to us. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I completely get that approach. And uh, before we keep pulling on the string, I just wanted to go back to one thing real quick, talking about legalizing cannabis and regulating it like onions. Um, in the state of Illinois, our leaders have been so gracious as to keep the the black market entrepreneurs' businesses alive and well because they have regulated it and taxed it to a point that it's like three times the actual private market value of it. Um, it reminds me of this, uh, the Trailer Park Boys. They had a, a movie, a special called Don't Legalize It. And the <laughs> these three guys who are there, you know, they sell they sell weed. And they are like going on this giant campaign to keep weed illegal in Canada, because if it goes through, then, you know, they lose their entire income. So uh, in, in Illinois, we've seen something very similar. I know like every, every friend I have that, that is a, a cannabis user still goes to their dealer. And the only people that go to dispensaries are like boomers and people that just like, you know, they, they're like, Oh, I, I want to play by the rules. So that's, that's where they're getting their money. And it's funny because this is the way with so many different government <laughs> programs, if they would just lower the taxes and be modest, then they would get way more revenue because there'd be more people buying if they just, okay, we're going to tax it at 50 no, you can tax it at 20 and you're going to end up making more money than you would at a 50% rate because more people are coming for it. Um, my, so um, my team did a little bit of a study on this when I was running for governor and because I was talking about legalizing cannabis and the goal was no extra tax, right? None. You tax yes. it like you tax onions, the exact same tax, right? There's no change. How do you tax onions? That's how you tax same, right? <laughs> but but I was okay with going up to a 3% cannabis tax or sin tax. King George and over here asked me, why would I go 3%? Why that? 
again, that wasn't my policy. I wanted zero, but I would have taken three if I'd actually won. Oh, this has got pushed forward and I was supporting it. Why? Because we did we did a little bit of uh, numbers. And generally speaking, if it's 3% or less, people tend to not go to the black market. That's about the number that they don't go. Once you get to four, five, six, eight, now people start going right to the yeah. black market. So at least three percent like- is about the cutoff. So I would have accepted up to three percent if I had to fight for it. I would have tried to get zero, but I would take three percent. So it's an arbitrary line, but it's rooted in data. So correct makes, makes a lot more sense. Uh, yes, yeah, that's back- why I would have gone to three percent. Back to your uh, Pepsi Bridge thing, I, I think it's even cooler to take think about like the military doing the same thing and having an F-15 wrapped up like a NASCAR with Budweiser stickers, and <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wonder Bread and Marlboro. Like that'd be badass. It would, but then again, you know, the, the the funny part is then we would have to accept that when we bomb people, that it affects our culture. Yep, we have to we have to accept that, right? Right now, the way we look in most parts of the world. America is no longer an honest broker. Those days are over. We still kept it during Carter. During Carter, we still kind of had the maybe you could be an honest broker. Maybe Clinton got a little bit, but not really. He was still biased. Now the, the country is just biased. Like the world does not take us as an honest broker anymore. And we've lost that. And it's because we've taken so many horrible sides and so many different horrible wars and so many horrible civil wars. So we're not seen as an honest broker. Why do you think every time we do a uh, a peace treaty, it's always led by like the Norwegians or the Swedes because they're seen as honest brokers? We're not anymore. We've blown that. And we didn't realize that all this bombing would affect our culture. Duh. But it just has. It's how we're seen. But if we had to actually put Marlboro or if we had to put Coke or Pepsi inside of a jet, we probably wouldn't bomb as much. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of these companies sell in those other countries too. So or a that's big, correct. A big Dale Earnhardt three on the side of a F eighteen. <laughs> just <laughs> out of pure respect. I, I just don't think that Mr. Earnhardt would like to be the, to be bombing someone. <laughs> just yeah. saying. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, and that's why we wouldn't bomb. It would be a great anti-war strategy. Um, that's correct. <laughs> so, uh, um, oh, one one thing I also wanted to talk about. I hope we're not pivoting too much here, but. Uh, I'm sure you heard going back to the the horrible hyena Kamala Harris, her comment that rural Americans have no mechanism to get a, an ID photocopied. That's why None. impossible. It's, I, it's impossible. Okay, so totally impossible. At, the only people who are able to copy anything are those who live in big cities. Everyone else has no ability. We don't have Internet. We don't can't copy anything. We don't have computers. We don't even have shoes. We have nothing. <laughs> yeah. And if you're black, you can't get the Internet. It's impossible. And oh, she, they I don't think I'm on now. Like she, I think I'm only on now because you're white. Otherwise, I couldn't be on the internet. It's impossible. She it's even impossible. said uh, she said Kinkos, right? Which has been out of business for like a decade. Yeah. <laughs> She's just so out of touch because she pays attention. Yeah, yeah, and yes. and you know between the okay, so the photocopy well, thing. She is right. You can't find the Kinkos. That's it's, true. It, yeah, she has true. a point there. It's like kind of blockbuster. Exactly. Yeah. There's still yeah, one, exactly. I think, in Alaska, right? Isn't there still one blockbuster in Alaska still? I believe so. I think there was a, there's a movie a, about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't watched it, The Last Blockbuster. I'm not there sure. There we go. If they, yeah, I think it's Alaska. Open. But, um, but uh, the other blockbusters than Ginkgo's. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you what they have a Xerox it? machine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, um, but, but so, okay, we had comments like that where, you know, rural Americans are so dumb and backward that they can't find a way to make a copy of their ID. 
And not just that, but I mean, for years, they've been saying the reason we don't want voter ID laws is because you have all these people in urban communities, these these poor black people that can't get an ID. Like they, they can't figure out how to get an ID, even though you need an ID no. to rent a car, to let, do anything. Let me, let me touch this piece. It's important that we understand this. The voter ID piece and the reason why it fails is because it isn't a logical issue. It's an emotional issue. And we're speaking about it from a from a logical way of thinking, and it doesn't land. Why does voter ID matter? Only one reason. There are still black Americans to this day who remember, who are alive, and who remember voter ID and voter poll tax and things like that being used against them trying to suppress their vote. It is emotional, and that's it. That's what it is. It's emotional. Logically, there's not a black person I know who can't get an ID and they know they can get an ID. Of course they can. But the problem is it feels, and I mean emotional, this is not logical. So you can't have a logical argument here. It's not going to work. The emotional piece is you're trying that again because in the 50s and 60s, it was real. When my father voted, it was real, right? That was a real thing. It isn't a real thing now, but it was. The problem the Republicans have had in doing this is they never touched it from an emotional point of view. They only did logic. And that's why this has not worked. All they had to say is something like, look, we want to make sure it's secure. We're going to find a way to make sure that no matter what, if you're black, if you're white, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We're going to find the right ID for you. We can do it. No worries. They should have said more than once. We understand why you're worried 75-year-old black woman who's told your 55-year-old daughter how bad it was and who's now told your 35-year-old granddaughter how bad it was. We understand. We get it. There was no emotional connection to this to this, this issue, and it's just emotional. That's why it fails. There's no logical argument against it. Right. So so we we look at like that whole issue and how it's become this kind of hot topic. And you would think, I mean, the, the implication there, like the, the, you you talked about like what the actual, uh, the reason the people in the black community may feel this way about it, but what the democratic politicians are doing is they're playing to that emotion. But the reason, yes. or the way, the reason they're able to get away with saying that is because they really view people like in urban communities or rural America. They just think that they are dumb and that they're they're too dumb to realize when they're being insulted. And I don't think people are too dumb to realize when they're being insulted. I think people, it's like, I think the emotional argument that you could retort that with is like, these people think you're stupid. Vote yes, or, you know, and that's actually get an working. ID and vote them out of office. You know, that, no, no, I you're, think that you're is. right. That's a good, that is actually a good message. It's an emotional message. Yes, that will actually land, right? You want to, you want to hit an emotional problem with an emotional answer. You're totally correct. And this, by the way, People are are giving Trump the wrong type of credit when it comes to the black community. They're saying, look, he's made so many black liberals conservative. No, that's not true at all. That's not true. Lots of black and Hispanic conservatives have been voting Democrat for years. A lot of people in my family, they're black and they're conservative, but they voted Democrat. What happened? They started voting Republican. So it's not like he made black liberals conservative. No, he just got black conservatives to stop voting Democrat. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. There's a difference, right? So he hit him with that emotional piece. 
and the left goes out of its way to alienate anyone who doesn't agree. So if you're if you're a black conservative going, I can get an ID. But what? You start getting insulted now. So the oh, left's yeah. insulting you. See, so well, I don't want to be insulted. I'm gonna vote for Trump. That's what happens. Yeah, because you know, I think from they said in 2016 to 2020, Trump had all of these interesting um, voter demographic changes yep. where he lost a lot of uh, like white people, and he yep. actually like doubled his support among like gay people and doubled like black and Hispanic voters and all these things. And it's like, hmm, that is that is very interesting. I think for it's one, because it shows the left that the- made them feel so alienated. These were look, there are there are conservative gay people too. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. There are because there were gay people also, but they would still vote Democrat. So it's a combination. Trump just said, I don't care. We're making money. I don't care. That's what he <laughs> said, basically. Right? So some of those people went, Oh, I guess I can get behind that, I guess. And add on top of that, the left going, If you don't believe how we believe, if you don't do what we do, we're going to cancel you and ruin you. Then those people who are already conservative in the gay and Hispanic and black communities that was voting Democrat, they became they started voting Republican. That's what actually happened. It was a combination of Trump just saying whatevs and the left going, if you're not good enough, then I punish you. Yeah. So so I, I think you're right. I think he he didn't like inspire anybody to become a conservative. He wasn't even no. himself a conservative. That's right? correct. He was just kind of a, a populist yes. about him. He's populist. Yes. Exactly. So, so when, when we look at like what happened there, I think it, it shows a couple things. I think what you just laid out that people felt alienated. And I remember at one point, I think it was 2016 Trump, like went to, maybe it was Harlem somewhere like that. And he said his message that the, the mainstream media tried to smear him with is that he's like, Oh, he told, he told this black community, like vote for me. What have we, what have you got to lose? And they thought that was appalling. And I'm like, but he's right. Like, what do they have to lose going from voting for Democrats for decades? It's like, what what is Trump going to do that's going to make you worse off? Really? I mean, these people have failed you for decades. They're going to roll the dice and try something different. And I think there's a big opportunity. The topic of what we're talking about tonight, like libertarian votership. Yes. I think there's an opening there. And I think the other thing that it showed is that the, the smear campaign that they ran against him for four straight, well, really, if you count the campaign, five straight years of Donald Trump being the next Hitler, when you watch his support of those demographics double from one election to the next after running these 24-7 news pieces about him being like anti-gay and and racist and all these things, I think it shows that the mainstream media... No, there's a different thing you're missing here. You're missing a piece here. When I ran my campaign in 2018, 2017, initially a lot of racial stuff came up. But then it went away relatively quickly. But you know who was so mad when the racial stuff came up? The white people on my campaign. I wasn't. I expected it. It's happened before to me. I'm not shocked by it, right? Right? I mean, look, if, if you're whatever minority, insert minority, you're not going to be shocked when someone throws a, a, a minority slur at you. It's happened in your life, right? You, okay, that's going to happen. Got it. That's what it is, whatever. Boom, it happens. Okay, that's how it works. What Trump did is he made a lot of white people feel uncomfortable. That's what he did. And they left him. They don't like him. They don't like him. My wife is one of them. My wife does not. My wife doesn't, doesn't mind, mind Republicans at all. She At all. She hates Trump. She'll vote Republican, not Trump. She hates him. And hmm. if you asked her policies, she couldn't tell you. She didn't care. She hates him. 
Just the arrogance and the personality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She hates him. It and she's not alone. There are many people I know who just hate him. And if you ask, well, what about a policy? They don't even know. They don't care. Like they didn't, they don't care. They hate him. Politics is a popularity contest. It's not a cool policy contest. It's a popularity contest, right? So Trump is going to be out there. He's got a big personality. When you have a big personality, very easy to love, very easy to hate. That's how it works. He's got a big personality. And there are people who I know, they're Republicans, and they hate him. So they would never vote for him because they hate him. Lincoln Project is all about people who hate Trump, right? That's what it's about. So I think you find a lot of that. And the opposite, people just love him because the funny part is it's similar to what I went through in a way. No one needs a level, obviously. But there were a lot of people who wanted to vote for me when I ran for governor because I simply answered their questions because they actually thought I wasn't lying to them. And Trump does bring that out. He brings across the idea that he's not lying. I'm sure he lies to any other politician, but I'm saying the emotion of it, right? The emotion was, I'm just being me. And people were like, oh, huh. Okay. I got a, a friend of mine on Long Island who has voted Democrat in the past, voted for Trump. And I asked him why. He was very simple. He goes, this is what he said. He goes, I feel like he says what he means. Boom, that's all it took. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wasn't thinking about policy or kids in cages, nothing. He's like, eh. And I think as I've crossed the state and across the country, most people, that's about as far as they go down the rabbit hole. That's about yeah. it. Yeah, Nick, Nick, what did your wife say? She just thought he was funny. She's not even into politics, but Trump was just. Yeah, talking. yeah, yeah. She, she thought his trolling. She just she kind of liked the trolling. You know, she's not yep, into politics go. at all, but she's yep. like, you know, he pisses people off that I don't like. So that's that's all it took. But uh, here we go. Yes. She yeah. doesn't care about his policy. She's not like, what's his Syria policy? She doesn't care about that. Yeah, yeah. She's like, this so, guy's funny. Gets my vote. My wife's like, I hate him. He's mean. Doesn't get my vote. Oh, Done. And that's. People, people that can't like they don't have the sense of humor with the like true uh, Trump derangement syndrome. If you can't just see how funny the guy is, you're missing out. You know, I mean, he that was that was a lot of fun. The way he talked to journalists who I despise, that was fun. Um, so I, I think I, I get what you're saying there. Like the whole uh, like this is a popularity contest. People don't really care about your policies, and because well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I'll be clear. When it comes to the left right paradigm, they don't care about the policies. Right. Once you go to three now, or four, now policies begin to matter more because that's what draws them off of the top two good evil. Right, right. So you mentioned the quality of Trump that a lot of people like that. He just seemed like he was speaking his mind and telling the truth. He might not or he might not be telling the truth, but he's not lying to you. Right. Like he's telling you what he really thinks. And, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast with previous guests before. We're trying to figure out, like, what was that Ron Paul lightning in a bottle thing that made these ideas catch fire? And we have kind of come to the conclusion that it wasn't really his ideas and policies that caught fire. It was the majority of it. The reason he gained that kind of traction is because he just came across as this decent, like, nice old man that was telling you the truth as he saw it. And I think that's something that, let's say, like, to connect these dots like you, Ron Paul and Donald Trump have that similar quality where people get the idea that you're into what you're saying and you're being genuine. Mm. And when we talk about winning popularity contests, like, or you brought that up as a strategy to start winning campaigns. Um, I, I think that is missing. I think that's missing big time. And yes. I know that's a, a growing part of the 
counter libertarians, they, they call themselves the post libertarians is to become more wealthy and influential. And then you can actually, I mean, you don't even have to run for office yourself. You can just start buying yep. off politicians. And if you can buy off politicians to get, you know, good policy through, I'm all for it. You know, I mean, we might as or well play the game as it runs is. For office, say in New York or something who has a maximum donation of $44,000, you could give that candidate $44,000 in theory at LarrySharp.com. Just theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> so theory. we, theoretically. we are coming up. We are we are coming up on uh, on the one hour mark soon. That's usually where we shut her down. What is next for Larry Sharp? Like, what are your plans for okay, the next question. election cycle? Or I know you have a private consulting company. So what what are you doing now, and where do you want to go in the future? Yeah, no, I, I spend most of my time doing the Sharp Way, which is my podcast. It's almost every night at seven. I did it tonight at seven for about an hour. Give me a break before I came on here. So I do a live podcast uh, almost every night at seven p.m. Tomorrow, I'm going to be on Greenhouse, which is uh, Spotify's like Clubhouse. Green Room, sorry, Green Room. I'm going to be on that. Um, I do, I, so I do a lot of that. And I, I bring on – the guests I bring on are almost never libertarian. So I'm always bringing on someone who's not libertarian, right? I'm trying to get e- exposure both ways. That's been my thing. I also do a lot of uh, discussion with anyone else who's particularly on the left, but I think the right also. But I've been focusing on talking to the left so that, one, I get better at it. So that people who hear it can see the differences and how the left speaks and what they think about what they care about, because the country has been shifting left for the past 20 years or so, maybe more, but for a while, heavily since 2008, the pendulum's starting to go back now because the left has become very alienating since they've won. And um, COVID is pushing people back out to the suburbs and rural areas. So the pendulum may shift back a bit towards the right. But either way, for us to, to win elections, we have to get both the right and the left to vote for us, particularly those who don't vote. We've got to get those people to get on board and to vote for us so that we can become more popular. Because instead of getting 2%, if we get 20%, now the news cycle will follow us, right? So why do I tell you all this? Because if I run again, it'll be this, it'll be, I'll announce this year for next year for the governor of New York. I've got to get more than 2%. I've got to pull at least 10, 20%. Otherwise, what am I doing? I've got to be able to feel like I can make impact to where when I'm done, people will still pay attention to me. The problem is the mainstream media just ignored me after I lost. It's ignored me. So I had to make my own media. That's why I made Sharpway. It just ignored me. But if I'd gotten 10 or 20%, they wouldn't have because that validates you in their eyes. That's how they measure, right? That's how they measure. So I've got to be able to make enough of, of an impact so that now when things happen, I put out a COVID plan, la- not this year, last year, March, a whole COVID plan. Nobody cared because no one's paying attention. But if I had gotten 15% last time, that been that would have been part of the media. Former gubernatorial candidate Larry Sharp has a plan for COVID. That would have been out there. Nobody cared. So I've got to make sure I can make impact. So my hope is to run in 2022 if I think I can make that impact. I'm actually considering... Um, because in New York State, we have fusion voting where I can be a libertarian and run on other lines. So I can actually be listed three or four times on a ballot. That's how we run in New York State. It's very odd, but that's what we do in New York State. So I actually consider considering running as libertarian, as I did last time, but also um, running in the Republican primary so I can get the Republican line also. So I can have two or three lines on a ballot. I might do that. Depends on how things work. Um, if, if I think I can win. Um, the advantage is... Um, in my in my state, Giuliani's son is running, and Trump's um, lawyer is running, so it might it might be some good press. So I'm I'm considering that. So if I run, hopefully I I do well. If not, I win. That'd be awesome. If I don't do if I don't win, 
I'll still cross the state again in the coming months and hope to get some other people to win in, in 2023 and 2024. Um, but if I win, awesome. Either way, I want to have more influence on 2024. Because people have asked me if I'm going to run for president 2024. The odds are very, very, very slim. I would have to be the most popular libertarian in the country in 2024. I don't see that being the case. Look, I, my book, by the way, I'm writing a book on happiness. It will be available for pre-order this month, and it'll come out next month for actual order. So if anybody wants to buy it, please go, go to sharpway.com. You see where it says book, and you can check it out. It's a book called On Happiness. It's about how to be happy. If that explodes and I'm on national TV and everyone's like, Larry's a happiness guy, maybe, maybe I'll do president, maybe. But unless <laughs> that happens, I'm not, because I, I need to make sure that we have impact in 2024. In 2016, I said I had a 10-year plan for us. And the 10-year plan was for us to get some type of national um, representation by 2026. 2024 has got to be a good year so we can win something in 2026. I want us to have either a congressional seat, a senatorial seat, or win the election in 2024. I don't care. That's fine. Whatever. I'll take it if we win it. But I'm just being honest. Odds are we won't. So I want to do that. So I want to have influence on that campaign and raising money for it. And even knowing who's going to be our nominee, I want to have influence on all that. And one of the most important things I want, which people did not listen to me in 2016 or 2020, when we run in 2024, we cannot start with a 50-state plan. It's got to be a few small states to gain momentum so that we can then grow from that. And then if we're good enough, we win at least one electoral vote. We have to win at least one electoral vote in 2024. I hope we win a couple of states. That'd be amazing. But we've got to win at least one electoral vote. There's got that map has got to have gold on it at the end of 2020. I'm sorry, 2024. I wanted that in 2016. I wanted it in 2020. People asked me, Larry, why didn't you run for VP in 2020? Because the only person who, who agreed with me was Judge Jim Gray. Nobody else. Everybody else wanted a 50 state uh, plan. I was like, that's gonna fail. I'm not part of it. Not gonna be part of that losing. That's gonna fail. It's gonna be, be worthless campaign. It'll do nothing. And our campaign did nothing. I'm not mad at, at Spike. I'm not mad at um, at Joe. But I'm just being forward. The campaign didn't do anything. Didn't move us forward. Didn't move us backwards. Did nothing. It just it was a bit. Eh, it was there. But imagine for a second if we had focused on, say, I don't know, Utah or Nebraska or whatever is the appropriate state. And one of those states had turned gold last year. Just one. Or just one part of Nebraska. Because it, it splits up their vote. Which is one part of Nebraska. Every time they showed that damn electoral map, and they showed that map a bazillion times, there'd be gold on it. And now someone's going to say, what's, what's that? Oh, that's the Batarians. Oh, right. Oh, right. Those guys are real. I just helped every down-ballot candidate for the next four years. Mm -hmm. That's a fair point. Every down ballot candidate for the next four years. That's what I wanted last year. No one listened to me. 2024, they're going to listen. I like it. I want to listen. <laughs> well, I like Rick. it. And, and Larry... in 2024, I would. I would take a VP slot in 2024 if I thought the person, one, wanted me on the, on the ticket. And two, agree with my view on how we should proceed to the campaign. I would consider that. Otherwise, I just want to make sure they listen to me. Yeah, you know, Larry, I, I've uh, 
I'm prone to getting a little bit nihilistic and cynical when it comes to actual politics. And every time I hear you talk, you have a way of firing me up and, and using your salesmanship. So you, you make me, I think you make people feel good. That's, that's why I love we it. need more Happiness. of you in this movement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, I, that's interesting. I hadn't heard about your, uh, about your book. I'll definitely check it out. Check it out for um, sure. So the Larry, is there why I made it on happiness? So you understand something people always think, well, Larry, are you going to do the book on politics or something? No. The, the actual, in my view, and people disagree with me, and I'm happy if you disagree, but what I will say is our movement isn't really about freedom or liberty. Our movement is actually about happiness. The issue is how do you get to happiness? By letting people be as free as they can to pursue it to the best of their ability. Absolutely. That's how I see freedom and liberty as a means to an end, not an end. Right. Yes. It's the means to get me where I want to go, which is happy people stay in their states. Happy people grow businesses. Happy people grow families. Happy people don't protest. Happy people don't commit any crimes. Happy. I mean, it was in our divorce papers from the UK. Life, liberty, sort of happiness. That was in our divorce papers. That's how much we cared about it. Two hundred and some odd years ago. Right. It matters. And libertarians do not talk about it anywhere near as much as we should. I talk about it all the time. Others don't. I would like you to talk about it more, please. So buy yeah. my book and talk about it. Yeah, I think I think that is something that's really missing is that, you know, we want to be more influential, be somebody yes. that people like to be around and they're more likely to listen to you. You don't want to be the I told you so guy. You're all stupid. I'm so much big brainer than you are, you know, so much more big brainer. That's, that's sloppy. But you get what I'm saying. People get into that too mindset. Big. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the words don't work when your brain gets so big um, and you're problem. so libertarian. <laughs> all right, Larry, um, any or Mike, did you want to close on anything? Um, we can come back to it after what you want to do it. I was just curious. You're going to be at Freedom Fest next week. I will be. I'll be at Freedom Fest next week. I'm speaking at two or three. I'm speaking at the South Dakota Libertarian Party convention Thursday night. I think Thursday during the day. I'm at a Zoomers and Boomers event. I'm the Boomer, and then <laughs> then uh, I'm also at a nap violation thing. I think on Wednesday or something. Um. So yeah, and I've got one more. I'm going to be at some event. I forgot. I've got a bunch of things I'm doing, and I'll have a booth. I'll be at booth 107. Um, I'll be there. I'm with my sponsors are also there. The advocates for self-governing are there also. Self-government also okay. there. Yeah, we're, we're going to be there as where, well. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll have to see where our booth is at. We'll have a we'll have like a laser pointer. We'll be messing with Larry, like putting it on love his it. desk there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So uh, yeah, no, that's awesome. So guys, uh, follow Larry on Twitter. Um, you know, listen to the sharp way. Larry, anything else you want to plug? Sharpway everything, Sharpway YouTube, Sharpway Twitter, Sharpway TikTok. I'm not playing games. Sharpway, <laughs> Sharpway anything, and it's sharp with an E, and the E stands for entertaining. You're not going to rapid fire any questions at him, Nick? He said nothing was off limits right before we started. So if you want to okay. throw some of the classics at him. Okay, so we'll, well, yeah, we'll go through them real quick. Larry, so <laughs> let's say rapid fire. We're just surprising you here. Let's say the FBI arrests you. And they're interrogating you, you know, for your being a domestic terrorist, of course, the libertarian. What song do they play on repeat to get you to talk? What song did they play on repeat to get me to talk? So that means I have to hate something. Yes. Um, it'll, it'll be, um, it will be um, an opera. I can't stand the hollering, the hollering um, Italian women. Oh, like Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, I, I hear you there. I can't stand it. My wife loves that stuff. Um, yeah. Okay, who would win in a fight between Rachel Maddow and Ben Shapiro? Rachel Maddow would tear him up. Ooh. <laughs> oh, she's a beast. 
She's a beast. Are you kidding me? Ben is like the smart guy. He's like, I'm going to tell you. And Rachel's like, <laughs> Rachel's a beast. A what beast. about uh, Kamala Harris versus Ann Coulter? It's a tough one. Um, it's a tough one. I mean, Coulter's got the height and the reach, right? I mean, she's got the height and the reach for sure. But Kamala's been around a bunch of cops, so she might know some good chokeholds. <laughs> so I'm not, you know, if, 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 if she can keep the distance, I think she's gonna she's gonna beat Kamala. But if Kamala gets her in tight, I think that's game. <laughs> so I think if 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 Colton can keep a distance, I think she wins that. Um, what libertarian do you think would do the best in prison? The best in prison. Yeah, who would be like running the show and and you know taking names at the top of the food chain? Well, um. There's a lot like we like get stuff like we'd set up a we'd set up a system. We understand barter. I mean, there's a lot of us would do well. I mean, so best. That's a tough one because um, I could name like five off the bat that would do well. Um, I think Dave Smith would kill it. I think Malice would be would be really good. Michael Malice would no, probably be just bullying no, people in trouble. No, Malice too you smart. think he'd get himself in trouble? Yep. Too smart. Oh, I think he'd be bullying the no. guards and trolling them. Nope, too too smart. The top, <laughs> the top guys. See, Dave will be okay because Dave will joke his way through it. They'll like him. He'll be fine. He's got charisma. Malice is too smart. Someone's gonna someone's gonna knife him. He's gonna make enemies. <laughs> yeah, I could see that yeah. happening. He's gonna make enemies. Malice is too smart. Gonna make enemies. So no, Malice will not do well. So he'll do fine. Maj Teray do fine. Yeah, Maj um, would be great. I think Tom Woods would be in trouble as much as I love Tom Woods. Tom Woods be in trouble too. Yeah, he's, he's not cut for the prison game at all. He's not. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think Ron Paul would do fine. Oh yeah, he'd be like the he'd prison grandpa. Yeah, he'd be. Yeah, he'd be nobody great. mess with him. Nobody, he'd be fine. He'd be fine also. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, 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 yeah. So yeah, I think they'd be fine too. Yeah, sure. Many of them, many of them will be okay. I mean, yeah, Kokesh has already been to jail, so he's like whatever. <laughs> so he's like whatever. So no big deal. So yeah, I think a lot of us do fine. Okay, and then um, last one but not least, we change this one up a little bit time to time. But what do you think is more likely that we went to the moon in 1969 or there are aliens that have been documented on earth like UFOs? What's so do you likely? think what, what conspiracy is more likely to be true? We'll phrase it this oh, way. What Which conspiracy? Yeah. So did we not go to the moon or are there aliens that have been completely documented hundred percent real on earth? Um, I don't think that we have documented aliens on earth. So I'm going to say the moon is more realistic. Um, I think we don't know. That's what I think. So yeah, I think we don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's not aliens. I, I don't know, but I'm, I don't think if we had actually documented aliens, like we had actually doc, I mean, that'd be everywhere. Right. That'd be, yeah, everywhere. unless it's classified. Right. And I, I phrased that kind of sloppy. My point was, or I guess what I was trying to say is I'm, I I'm open to the idea that we did not go to the moon in 1969. I think it's a lot of fun because people get very emotionally invested when you bring it up as if they were a part of like the Apollo missions. So uh, I like that one a lot. And um, since the government has been pushing the alien thing, the last few Buzz years, Aldrin will punch you. <laughs> yeah. Buzz will punch you. So you better not world- say that. He- he will literally like punch you. So don't say that. He's a, he's a world-class actor, that guy. Um, so anyway, <laughs> Larry, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking part tonight and uh, yeah, answering our questions. 
Maybe we'll see you next week. All righty, my friend. Good seeing you guys. All right. Thank you, Larry. Thanks, Larry.